Let me read this just as we set the uh, look at some things here this afternoon. This is from 1 Corinthians 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We're going to look at the gift of faith in just a moment. And um, it's incredible to stop. And every once in a while, God in his kindness gives us a peek as to what's been going on behind the scenes. When we talk about the gift of faith, the scriptures tell us that everyone has been given a portion of faith. So the gift of faith that is manifested for the common good by the same spirit is not saving faith in Christ Jesus. That's something completely different because we all have faith. But the gift of faith is this thing that happens when God asks us to take a little step out of our comfort zone. And as far as we're concerned, we've just, sometimes it feels like a giant leap, other times it's a small step, but the gift of faith enables us to do that. And then we kind of carry on. We have no idea of the big picture. There was a man quite close to our family who um, was an ordained Anglican clergyman and he lived in Sussex, New Brunswick. And uh, he had a dream. We were talking about dreams this morning. He had a dream where God told him in the dream, whether he interpreted properly or not, you can decide at the end of the story, that um, he was to liquidate all of his savings and buy a house a block away. So he did. He woke up the next morning, sold all of his investments, everything he had for retirement, and built, bought this house. He decorated it, filled it with furniture, and did nothing. He just waited. He knew that that's what he was meant to do, so he did it. And he prayed, and a month went by. And his family are going crazy, like, what's he done, you know? Um, I can't believe he's done this, you know? He's an eccentric, da 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 Second month goes by. And then at 11 o'clock at night, three months to the day, there's a knock on the door. He opens the door, and there's a mother with two children. And the mother is clear that she's received a beating, and she's just, you know, she's just a mess. And she said, um, can, I hear you're the parish priest. Can you help us? We tried to, we've come as far as we could buy on our train ticket from Montreal. This is as far as we could get. And I wonder if you could help us. We actually tried to get away three months ago, but my husband caught me at the train station and dragged me back to the house. And three months on, this is the first chance I've had to get away. And he said, ma'am, we've been waiting for you. He turns around, grabs the keys to the house he bought, and he walks around the corner, opens the door, lets her in, says, welcome home. Shortly after that, there was a there's an advertisement in the newspaper that was uh, bought by um, that was put out there and I think it was in the Globe and Mail asking for a clergyman to come to Rhodesia during the War of Independence, which is now Zimbabwe. And um, anyway, uh, this man responds to the ad and he uh, he goes to Rhodesia and he lives in a train car and goes up and down the country. He's living in a train and all he does is is um, funerals for the people that are being killed. And after the third one, he just decides, enough with being a polite clergyman. These people are likely all going to die before I see them again. I'm going to give them the gospel. And he starts to preach the gospel up and down, up and down Zimbabwe. And uh, has an incredible time, comes back. And then um, he and his wife, they hear that there isn't a church in Fort McMurray. So they pack their, their, their station wagon, and from Sussex, New Brunswick, they drive, it's like forever, to get to Fort McMurray, Alberta, and they help you know, build the first church, all this kind of stuff. Thirty years later, I'm in London at our church, and I get along really well with this guy named Ian. He's like six foot eight. I just found it's always great to meet really tall Africans. You know, he's from Zimbabwe. And a tall, strong guy who said, if I just stick next to him, I'll have no problems, you know. And uh, he says, you know, I, I really feel that God's doing something in our lives as a family. And 
I'd love to uh, meet up with you and pray. And so we start praying together every Tuesday morning. Um, it's ridiculous because he worked out of town. He'd be at my door at quarter to six, and for an hour we'd pray together and all that kind of stuff. He'd go to work. And um, we start talking and just sharing stories. And he starts talking about how his family were really invested in the future of Zimbabwe and how when there was a war of independence, you know, they even paid for a mission um, to bring preachers over to, you know, preach to, to try to turn the, the tide of the war of, uh, of you know, the, the revolution and all this stuff. So that there would be in the new, in the new country, there would actually be a, a gospel foundation. And, and I said, that's so interesting. He says, why? He says, well, I had an uncle who was a clergyman and who actually spent some time in you know, Zimbabwe. And anyway, I went back and I spoke to my grandmother, who actually is still alive today. She's 104. And she said, you know, what was the name of, of the family that paid for that ad? And they said, oh, they were the Connollys out of um, one, uh, Bulawayo. And uh, anyway, so I went back and I told Ian. I said, Ian, Connollys sponsored the mission trip. He said, yeah, that was my grandfather. And there we were, you know, whatever it was, 30 years later. And my prayer partner is someone whose grandfather had been a partner in, in, in the gospel with, with my uncle. And, you know, all we know is that we're taking these small steps forward, but God has this whole architecture of grace, bringing families and peoples together. And all we know is that we have these opportunities to do these little things, or they seem big, or the whole thing. And so the scriptures tell us, 1 Corinthians 14 says, that to some, the gift of faith is given. And I used to think all the time that this was, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To another, the... Um, to another faith by the same spirit. I always thought that that meant there was a quantity of faith that you might get once in a while or, or something along those lines. And what it is really, if you think about it, look at it, because it doesn't mean saving faith. It doesn't mean that you become a Christian. But it's, it's you, we spoke last night about the prompting of the Holy Spirit being like a butterfly that just touches you on the shoulder and how you have this, it's kind of like seven seconds to actually do something about it. It may be more, maybe less, but this prompting to do something, to actually turn and act on that prompting. And then what happens is, so, so John, John's going about his life and he gets a little prompting to do something. And he has a choice. Do I follow the prompting and risk looking like a fool or, or do I, do I just, just ignore it? And the, the prompting comes and it's light, it's gentle, it's almost unsubstantial. And the moment you act on it, it's like this happens. You know, it's like this, all of a sudden there's this, this cape of power that comes. This faith, this surge of faith that hits you, that gives you what you need to do what's before you. And the moment you do it, all of a sudden, it's like boom, it's gone again. And you're kind of like, what on earth did I just do? And that's the gift of faith. So we were, and so we were, um, I was driving. I'd just been filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I'm in um, St. Andrews, New Brunswick, and I'm driving an hour to get to this appointment I've got to get to, which is just, you know, driving along. And I see this billboard for a truck stop. And I've seen that billboard a hundred times and I see it. And immediately out of nowhere, I just burst into tears. And, and which is, I can't understand why I'm driving alone. I'm trying to see, and I, I even put the windshield wipers on, but it was sunny. And I, I don't know, you kind of doing all kinds of great stuff. And I pull myself together and I think, what was that? And I thought, well, I'm going to have to stop. So I pull into the, the truck stop and I go in and I'm kind of looking. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I have this kind of all of a sudden this surge in me to think that I've got to do something. And so I say, Can, could I see the, the owner, please? And they say, yeah, I just won't, we'll go, go get her. And so she comes in and she, I say, hello, my name is Dave. And da, 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 we have 
pleasant chat. I said, she said, well, what can I do for you? Something wrong? I said, no, nothing's wrong. I was driving here and I just felt compelled to stop and tell you that God loves you and he's with you. She starts to cry, runs out. And all of a sudden, everyone at the truck stop looks at me. <laughs> what has he done? You know, I'm thinking, oh, help, here we go. And she goes into the back room, brings out her husband. And they take me out into the parking lot or to the side. And they say, Do you kn- are, are, you, are you from around here? Do you know what's just happened? I said, no, I've, I've just moved here. I have no idea what's going on. They said, our son was valedictorian. And he was getting ready to uh, graduate and working on the speech. And uh, he always wanted a motorcycle. And so for graduation, you know, we gave him a motorcycle. And he was on his way to see a friend. And a drunk driver uh, hit, hit him and he died. And we were thinking, what kind of a God would allow this to happen? And I said, well, I don't have your, the answers to your questions. But what I'm, all I know is that God loves you and he's with you. And I prayed for them. Now, had I been driving along and had I been reading the St. Croix Courier and had I read that headline, known that the owners of this truck stop had had a son who had been killed tragically and everybody was upset by it, you could not have paid me money to stop and tell them that God loves him, loves them. I just wouldn't have done it. I don't have that kind of audacity. I don't have that kind of nerve. Other people would, but it just wouldn't be me. But the way that the Lord got me is that he just kind of gave me this prompting. Now, this was a strong prompting. I don't normally burst into tears, but that had happened and I went in and that's that enabled me to share with them something of the love of God. Now, I'm sure it took them a long time. You never really get over the loss of a loved one. You just have to find that new normal. And and they, you know, eventually did find that new normal. And and it was just incredible. Rachel on our we went to uh, we went to visit my parents over over Christmas over the new year actually and we had this short little flight to take an hour and a half really with the boys and we kind of go there we have a great time and on the way back no sorry it was on the way I'm with Ethan and Rachel's with Thomas and two in front two in back and Ethan is really you know he's just kind of coloring and everything's going fine and well Rachel launches into a conversation with the person next to her who's from a Unitarian background and you know they're talking and Anyway, Thomas starts to melt down. And this is, I mean, I can't multitask. I certainly can't do this. And just as he starts to melt down, Rachel says, turns to the woman next to her and says, gosh, you're going through an awful lot. And she said, I just felt like I should pray for her. Now, I'm next to a, a child who's melting down. The last thing I'm going to do is pray, offer to pray for the person next to me. But Rachel just kind of puts her hand over our son's mouth and says, I'm going to pray for you. And he starts wiggling. And so she's kind of like got him in a kind of a hold lock. And meanwhile, she's saying, Jesus, would you come and pound? You know, she's just kind of praying over this woman. And the woman, I mean, she had, the woman had a broken back. Her husband was ill. And she was going to help her mother move into assisted living. And Rachel's just praying for the Holy Spirit. And we're on Spirit Airlines, which is so funny. And so she's got Thomas, who's kind of all he wants to do is get up front and play with Ethan. And she's got him in one arm, and she's praying there. And then uh, this, after they finish praying, you know, Thomas settles right back down. And this woman can't stop thanking her and start saying, you know, um, I've been looking for churches to go to, and I've just never really felt loved and you know so she has this encounter of love and they swap details go the whole thing and i turned to rachel i said rachel how did you do that she says i have no idea i just had this little sense that i had to pray for the woman i said well how did you manage thomas because i didn't dare look back in case she handed me thomas and the guy next to me was actually occupying half of my seat so it was kind of you know and she just said it was just like just like a butterfly just landing on my shoulder and i just knew i had to pray And the great thing is, is that God is so gracious 
And many times I've been prompted to pray and I just haven't done it. Often I'm too busy. I'm thinking my, I'm up here living out here and worried about this and that, got things to do. And the promptings come and go and I just don't have time. And really for the gift of faith to be manifest in, in the body, all you need to do really is say, Lord, I'm available. And here is this wonderful thing when you don't need the greatest skill in the world. You just need the right heart. And that is a heart that wants to make the love, the divine nature of God known. And so that's the gift of faith. It's like the, the cape comes down. Suddenly you've got this surge of faith and you know what to do and you can do it. But it doesn't come until you take that first step to, to, to act on it. And that, that's the gift of faith. We find after a while that you've taken all these little steps and we have no idea what's going on in the background. But actually, God is using these little steps of faith to bring the most incredible picture, this mosaic of grace together, where lives are being brought together from all kinds of places. And uh, it's just incredible to see. And all that he asks of us is to just take that little step out of our comfort zone. If I'm honest, I, we had this guy, I don't know if you, you ever had him, but he used to be at Regent, or wonderfully still alive, by the name of Michael Green. And uh, he was an evangelist, and he, he was head of missions at, at Wycliffe Hall. And, and uh, during, during the holidays, I had nowhere to live because we would have people come in and use the facilities. So I heard there were these short-term mission trips. And I'd never been on a short-term mission trip before. I didn't know what it was all about. So I signed up to go every holiday and go with Michael. And this man really believe, not just inviting you to take a small step, but he'd take you by the neck and by, you know, your belt, and he would throw you out of your comfort zone. And so we're there, and I've got to do this. We're in Guernsey, of all places, on the Channel Islands, and, um, you know, I'm there, and I'm helping do whatever. And then Michael comes up to me and says, Larley, talk to this man. And he says to this man, I said, I can see you're in a lot of pain. And this is my friend, Dave Larley. He's going to help you get rid of the pain. I'm like, what? I've never, I've just learned to pray out loud. I certainly don't know how to articulate. So I sit down, I just start listening to him and you know, I'm, I've just about get, gotten a hold of this whole Holy Spirit thing, but not quite. And I said, so what's going on then? And he said, I was a sniper in the Falklands War, and I was rewarded for taking people's lives, and I haven't slept since. And I'm like, oh, man, like what? You know, and then this is this huge debate going on in my, life, my, my head, and I'm thinking, how on earth, what kind of three-point talk could I give him? And, you know, well, maybe I need to tell him that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And, you know, I'm thinking of the, all that kind of stuff. What are the four pillars of, you know, this? And what are the seven habits of highly successful people or anything that will work? So I just turned to him and said, look, I, I don't know what to say to you. Let's just pray. I put my hand on his shoulder and we pray. And he just starts to cry. And I said, would you like to give your life to Jesus? He says, yes. And we kind of kind of do it. And then Michael, it kind of went from bad to worse. He said, Larley, you may not be the best preacher. In fact, you're horrible. And I was at that stage. But when you pray, things happen. And it's true. I had no idea, really. I hadn't been taught yet. I hadn't had preaching class yet. But there was something about I was willing because I had such an experience of love when I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was desperate to, I felt compelled to share that with others. And so that, that's the gift of faith. It's the surge of light. We get a prompting to do something, an act of kindness, which should, shouldn't surprise us because the scriptures tell us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so the surge of faith comes and we do this little thing and we think it may be big or small. And it really, the Lord only asks of us to take a small step. And one day we will see all that happen behind the curtain and it'll be incredible. But for now, it's just that small step. So that's the gift of faith. And the one before that is the message of knowledge, the word of knowledge. And I know that I'm speaking to the choir here. And, and the, the gift of the word of knowledge is, is a gift that deals from 
past to present in the realm of fact. Okay, past to present in the world of fact, whereas prophecy deals purely in potential from present to future. If you're given a prophetic word, there's no guarantee it'll happen. Prophetic words, in order for them to happen, require obedience and trust. Words of knowledge, they're like diagnostic. It's present, it's past to present. And they enable, they're really, they're, they're given so that the person who's going about their life realizes that there's a God who knows what's going on, who sees what's happening and wants to get into uh, involved. Much Music. Do you anyone remember that channel, Much Music? Used to have this great show called Intimate and Interactive where they'd get, you know, these great artists to come play acoustic and it used to be wonderful. Because you get to, what's that? It's fantastic. And, um, and it's kind of like with, with a word of knowledge, what people realize is that God's gone acoustic. You know, he's gone really intimate and he reveals to them that he knows and he still loves. So we had, I thought it was an absolute joke someone was playing on me. It was a Maundy Thursday and the secretary of church in London calls me and says, you've got to come down to the office. I think there's someone here for you, which is always code that there was an eccentric at the door and they didn't want to deal with him. So we'll give him to Larley. And so I go down and there's this Romanian. His name was Essen and he's, and it was at the same kind of time as that film Borat came out. So I thought this was a complete stitch up. But anyway, we go in and um, he says, I need to tell you my life and you tell me where I've gone wrong. I said, okay. I said, why? He said, because I've been cursed. I said, all right, that's a bit extreme, but let's go have a sit down. And he starts pouring out his life, his story, and the story of how he um, grew up in Romania and always wanted to be a, um, successful and uh, married, two kids, and then uh, came to London to earn money to send home. But the moment he came to London, things fell apart and... and um, you know, he didn't know what to do. I said, okay. And I'm starting to think, Romanians, Romanians. What do you know about Romanians? Eastern Orthodox. Okay, what do I know about Eastern? And I'm trying to think of the theology of how to engage with him about the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And, and he was, I realized that he'd stopped talking. And I was still with my eyes closed trying to think. And he's kind of, he thought I'd fallen asleep. So he taps me on the shoulder. I said, oh, oh sorry. I, said, I was really listening. I was just trying to think of something. And he said, well, what do you have to say? And I realized I've got nothing. You know, I, I really have nothing at all to offer this man as to what he should do with his life. He told me things that he tried to get involved with to make money quick in, in the adult industry. And it just, it all gone wrong. And I didn't dare ask what had gone wrong. And I didn't want to know. But I said, look, I'm just going to pray for you. And we'll just see what happens. And he said, um, if you pray in English, can I pray, pray in Romanian? I said, yeah, sure. I think God speaks Romanian. And so I kind of put my hand on his shoulder and I just say, you know, come Holy Spirit. It's, it's, and really, it's a continuation from what we saw with the, the words of wisdom. You may not have the answer, but all you have is that you know God. And that's, that's enough all the time. So I put my hand on his shoulder and I, I say, come Holy Spirit. And I have this picture in my mind of him as a painter. And so I say... I don't know if this makes any sense, but I just had a, a sense that God sees you as a painter. You know, this guy starts to cry. And uh, I said, well, what's that mean to you? He said, my whole life I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a painter. But uh, I, I knew I could never raise a family on that. So I've come here and I've actually left my wife behind and my two children. And um, I'm worried that my wife's going to be unfaithful. All because I've been afraid that I couldn't be what I want to be. And I said, well, I think God's speaking to you. What do you think he might be saying? And uh, he says, I don't know. I'll have to pray about it tonight. I said, okay, well, go home tonight and talk to God about what you should do. Because he knew that God, this whole, that word of knowledge revealed to him that God was, you know, was really involved. As the Texans say, 
God had gotten up into his grill, you know, kind of really got up close. So he goes home that night. And I don't see him. It's Good Friday. He does. He came to the Good Friday meditations, but I couldn't get to see him. And then it's Easter Saturday and I'm on the hunt for a pint of milk. I go in and I see this man coming towards me with an envelope in his hand. And it's it's the Romanian. It's it's Essen. I said, you know, what what happened? He said, God speaks Romanian. I was like, really? He says, yes. I prayed to God and, and uh, I asked him what I should do and he told me to go home and be a father to my children and a husband to my wife and to paint. So here's my airline ticket. I leave this afternoon. Thank you. Goodbye. Bizarre. I, I, you just, I was trying to think of some kind of theological thing to hold on to, to, to offer to him, but actually this word of knowledge uh, from the past to the present cut right into his heart, broke it wide open so that he could receive something of the love uh, uh, of the Lord and, and go home. I have no idea what's happened since, but it's just absolutely incredible. And then, um, so that's the word of knowledge. And it can come in all kinds of forms. It's really interesting how we've been made. And a lot of churches will deal in this and they'll, they'll say that, look, the, the heart is deceitful above all things. Therefore, any sense of desire, you've got to clamp down, you've got to make, manage it so that you don't act out in any way. And and you end up with a, a model of life that is really sin management. But there's another way to look at it, which is to realize that God has called us into relationship and he's put desires in our hearts that as we pursue those desires, that we w- they would become a, a forum from which we would meet with God. And so a desire to paint or a desire for photography or a love for cars or, or whatever it may be, stamp collecting, actually as you pursue that, that becomes the arena with which God is looking to meet with you. And so when these words come, these words of knowledge, it, it, it beca- we can get fooled into thinking it's just me. Because when we pray for someone, we think of something that we've done. But actually what God is doing is using our imagination as a landscape from which to use imagery to reach the hearts of others. And so uh, we end up, you know, saying, you know, I have a picture of, of this or sometimes you think, no, that, I was looking at this earlier today, so that must just be me. And it's interesting, I know I've said it before, but when Samuel is called by God, he's in the temple and he only really knows one male voice, and that's the voice of Eli, the priest. And uh, we will, most of us will know the story that he's asleep, Samuel's asleep, and he's woken up by a voice of a man, he, and he, he immediately assumes it's the only male voice that he knows, the voice of Eli. So he runs and wakes up Eli and... Eli's been asleep and he sends him back. He says, no, it was not I. Second time, the same thing happens. Third time, Eli realizes that this is God. And he says, God is speaking. Next time, respond. Your servant is listening. It's interesting to me and as an observation that for Samuel, he assumed that the voice of God was actually the one that he was very familiar with. And for you and I, it's the same, that we can assume that that familiarity when we pray or when we are seeking to be used by God, it can be so familiar that we immediately discount, discount it and say, that can't be me. But it actually is God and it is you. And it actually is more closely kind of like the word made flesh. It's Jesus filling us with his, filling us with his spirit so that the things that we've done can be a canvas from which to paint a picture to enable someone to receive um, a blessing from God. And so that's the word of knowledge from past to present. The prophetic, the word of prophecy, is from the present to the future. And it's all potential. It's all potential. There's no guarantee. There's a promise that is given. And really, for it to come to fruition, that promise has to be internalized. So, um, so we go about our days 
And someone will come along and and give us a a prophetic word. And often when people receive a word, they'll receive something of the love of God. Or often a word of knowledge can be used to get someone's attention so that they're listening when the the prophetic word is uh, is received. And um, once that word is given, it's like we said earlier, the majority of prophetic words that are given in the Old Testament have two things to say. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. It's a deposit of love and a deposit of power. Because the, the greater the call that's placed on a person, the greater the prophetic word. And the greater the call, the greater the word, the more difficult the task will be. And so God brings it into real sharp focus. So, you know, people used to come up and say, you know, I really I want an earth shattering prophecy. And I said, you don't really I said, yeah, yeah, I do. I said, actually, what you want is just a mediocre, you know, windmill kind of word, because that means that it'll be relatively easy to accomplish. Um, and they kind of said, no, no, I want the earth shattering word. So uh, we have Gideon, who's, who's a coward, hiding in the wine press, threshing wheat. Because the people, the men and women, have been tortured by the, the Moabites, and, um, and it's just, just gone horribly wrong. And this man has, has a backbone in his body, and everybody's cowering in fear. And we see that what the prophetic does is, is it seeks to unplug us from the values of our culture. Many of the values of our culture are all performance-based. And it said to plug us into the values of the kingdom, which are that we are shaped not by what we've done, but by who God says we are. And all of a sudden we are released from whatever our experience is and we discover that there's a new, um, there's a new standard that we can start to live our lives. And so it was a Wednesday and we were talking about how God has a, a gold standard for our lives. And there was a wonderful woman who'd come in. And what was wonderful is like you, when you watched her life, you felt like God was live streaming in front of you. Because when we first met her, she was a heroin addict and a prostitute. And well, she gave up the heroin cold turkey. And as she was going through withdrawal, she found herself into a church and uh, someone prayed for her and the pain immediately went. And uh, she met Jesus and gave up, you know, the, the, all that she'd been doing. was trying to figure out now how, how does she live. And she had two daughters. One daughter um, she was in good relationship with, but her, the, the daughter's life was chaotic. And the second daughter she hadn't spoken to in five years. But they both had a chihuahua. And so we're talking about how God, you know, uh, has a different standard to judge our lives. And, and we're talking about God's goodness and all this kind of stuff. And, and she gets a text message from the daughter she hasn't spoken to in five years. And the text says, um, OMG, the chihuahua's been hit by a car, the head's been flattened, and all of its legs are broken. Help. So this woman stands up and says, can we prophesy and pray over this dog that it'll be healed? And I'm like, you're getting all the gifts mixed up. You know, this prophecy and healing are totally different. Anyway, so that she would know that God is good and that he loves her. And I'm thinking, all I know is that Disney has a film called All Dogs Go to Heaven. I have no idea if we're meant to pray for dogs. And so I say, everybody stand up. So they all stand up. We pray and prophesy over this dog that it would live and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, I hope word doesn't get out. And she sits back down again. We carry on with the service. And as she's walking out, she gets a second text, the second text in five years. And her daughter says, come over right away. You will not believe what's happened. So she heads over to her daughter's house. And I get a call a little bit later. And she's on the phone saying, you will not believe what's happened. Tell me what's happened. I said, I've just seen the dog. The head is unsmushed. The legs are no longer broken. I said, okay. That's kind of strange. And she said, um, and the dog's afraid of cars. I said, well, it's a chihuahua. It's going to be afraid of something. I said, no, no. So this is what I did. I knelt down next to the dog. And I said, goodness of God, come. Spirit of fear, go in the name of Jesus. And the dog's no longer afraid of cars. 
I was like, oh my word. I just would not have, you know, thought of that. So the daughter comes to church on Sunday and it's, 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 it's I can't believe what's happening. She, you know, they're starting to relate one again. She's bringing the dog into church and I'm not sure if we allow dogs into church. At least it's a chihuahua and it hides in the handbag. And then we have another woman who comes on, on Wednesday who um, has two um, uh, retrievers and they've both been deathly ill. One of them hasn't eaten in a week and is about to die. It's emaciated. It's not responding to IV treatment. And she's spending a fortune on, on the uh, vet. That's it. And uh, the other dogs just come down with it and it's been ill, the whole thing. And she says, can we pray for my dogs like we prayed for the other lady's dogs? I'm thinking, oh no, the word's gotten out. So we start. So I said, all right, well, let's just pray. And I'm thinking, Lord, you know, because this woman, this woman was a self-harmer and um, it was horrible. I mean, it was, you couldn't help but love her because when she wore short sleeves, you could just see the damage that she'd done to herself. And the only thing she really loved in life were her dog. And I'm like, Lord, I'm totally happy to pray and appreciate that everything that comes after the prayer is your doing, but God, don't mess this up. You know, it's the arrogance that I had, you know, and then I said, Lord, I'm sorry for being so arrogant. Please answer my prayer, you know, having this internal debate. And we get everyone up. We say, okay, we're going to pray for Hannah and her dogs. And we pray. And there's a gift here called the working of miracles. And that one is similar to healing, but different. To heal someone, they need to be sick. But there are many conditions that can't be healed because there's nothing there to heal. A joint that's gone, um, you know, it, it requires a creative miracle. You know, if someone is born, for example, with a deficiency in their foot or missing a finger, um, you know, they can't be healed of that. You need a creative miracle where God recreates. And so we're praying for this dog, these dogs, and she goes home. And I get a call five minutes later. The vets don't know what's happened. It's as if my dogs have never been sick. They're not only better, but they've put all the weight back on. It's a miracle. And I think I'm going to be known as St. Francis of Assisi. You know, I hate that guy. Well, I don't, but you know, it's just kind of, it gets embarrassing. And anyway, people start bringing their pets to, um, to church. All kinds of pets. Pets that I'm sure will not be in heaven because of the reptiles and whatnot. And, um, and we just end up, and it just, it hits me that what God has been saying, that this hasn't really been so much about what he's been doing in the lives of these people, although that is important. He's been actually saying that he is looking to become their best friend. And so we start talking about what it means to be a friend of God. And it's this, kind of like this external prophetic word for all of us to see that there's, a, there's potential here for all of us to become best friends, not just to be servants. Because if you're a servant, I mean, you can see it on Downton Abbey or we know it from our own lives to serve is that you can do a job and it really doesn't matter the state that your heart's in. You know, a servant just has to get the job done. But if you're a friend, that's a much greater challenge because all of a sudden it's not so much about the task. But the preoccupying question is, how do my actions influence and affect the heart of my friend? And if I'm their friend, that what matters to me matters to them. But more importantly, what matters to them has to start mattering to me. And so we begin this, this and it was just absolutely incredible. And, and uh, it wasn't just beginning to discover what does it mean to be a friend of God? And what does it mean to bring in the love of Jesus into my life? That I might share that love with, with those around me. And I realized that I'd become more focused 
on what I was doing than actually focusing on realizing whether or not I was loved or not. And so it was one of those moments where you have to go back and say, okay, Lord, let's, let's start over. You know, let's start over. And you see the prophetic becomes this avenue where we have this ability to pour encouragement into the lives of people. Where you, God by his spirit reveals words that un, not only unlocks hearts, but enables people to change direction not so much necessarily in the trajectory of their life, but in the state of their heart. So that all of a sudden, they are doing things they would never have done before. Four years on, when we left, that first woman with the daughter and the dog, when we left, both daughters had become Christians. Their granddaughter had become a Christian. The family had gone through family therapy. And they were completely, in fact, they'd, all three of them, I, I questioned whether this was wise, they all moved into the same apartment complex so that one had the apartment in the middle and the other two were on either side. And they were beginning to see what it was like to have family again. All because we prayed for a dog, you know, and, and, and did this and saw God do this, 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 this working of miracles. And I didn't lay a hand on anyone. It was, it was the people in the community who were praying, who were manifesting um, the spirit for the sake of the common good. And so prophecy, so words of knowledge are from the past to the present and it's fact. It's fact. Prophecy is present to the future, and it's all potential. Let's do an exercise. I'm going to ask us to get into, no, into threes. And often when we try to prophesy, we think we have to have some kind of deep theological insight or some kind of intuitive insight, and those are all great. But actually, the, the skill to learn how to prophesy is much closer to paying someone a compliment than we realize. And so we're going to play a game or an exercise called When I Look at You, I See. So there will be three of you. And so two will be standing uh, facing one person. And really, uh, the one person is, will be tasked. So the two people will be tasked. And this isn't so much about praying, but learning that actually the things of the spirit come much quicker than we expect. And we're going to play a game where we're going to assume that as long as it's encouraging, edifying, and builds up, that it's from God, no matter how familiar it is to you. And our eyes will be open because often the things of the prophetic can be seen. Basically, all you say is, John, when I look at you, I see grace. And then Brad would go and say, John, I see maturity. Now, is it encouraging to you that someone sees grace and maturity in your life? It is. Now, here's the deal. We don't know if that's a word of knowledge, of fact, from uh, past to present, or it's speaking into potential. You know, so that, that, that he's gracious. I have no, I, I know John a little bit. Some of you will know him better than I do. But what's amazing is, is the prophetic is calling the things that are not into being. And so presuming this is somebody else who is very impatient and has had issues to do with something else, to speak grace into their lives is actually like taking white out and removing that negative trait and trumping it with a new standard, the new headline saying, this man is no longer impatient. He's gracious because that's the authority that we have by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the game. When I look at you, I see. So you'll need to get into groups of three, but really is using your eyes to see. Now, it may be that you just offer someone a compliment. When I look at you, I see beauty. Well, remember that Esther received beauty treatments for two years and that beauty was preparation for her to save the people of Israel from destruction. So beauty is a good thing to say. Um, it may be that when I look at you, I see 
a smile. Well, that's great as well. And this isn't so much about starting off with an earth-shattering prophecy, but it's, tr- it's training us to take that small step so that when you come in tomorrow to church, you can give an earth-shattering prophecy. Better at that than others. Some of us who have been towards intuition will have a better, will find that slightly more easy. Some of us who have a better eye for detail will notice, will, will be better at it. And it really is, the thing about all of these gifts is that they're learned. So the gifts of the Spirit are not earned. You don't earn them. You learn them. And there's only one way to learn. The theory is great, but you have to find ways to practice, to practice. Before we break, I just want to do a quick and you're all experts, so it's, it's, um, it's just review, really, on the gift of healing and the working of miracles. Moses has this incredible dialogue with God. And um, you remember the story. He's up Mount Sinai, and he says to the Lord, I want to see your face. And the Lord says, no. Uh, he, says, uh, he says, I want to see your glory. And he says, no. But I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and cause all of my goodness to go before you. And... Um, and it's incredible. There's something about the glory of God that is, in, is just really closely linked with the goodness of God. And another way of explaining what Christ endured on the cross is that he endured the wrath of God that we rightfully earned, that we might be free to receive what was uniquely his. And what was uniquely Jesus's because he was perfect is that he received continuously the goodness of God. He and the Father were one. And the goodness of God did not just fill him, but it flowed through him. And it's incredible, the prayer of Jesus before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, you know, he talks, he prays about how he and the Father are one. And then his prayer for the church is that we might be one. And actually, when you lift up that prayer next to the writings of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, especially what we've been looking at, 12 to 14, you see that there's a, there's a prayer here from Jesus that the Unity that he and the Father experience would be something that the church would experience, which is impossible, utterly impossible, unless there is something that was between the Father and the Son that can be between individuals within the church, which is the Holy Spirit. So that by the Holy Spirit, unity in the church is possible, not just in that we agree in everything and what kind of furnace we need to replace, etc., etc. Those are important decisions, especially in this season. Is that right? You get a furnace issue. But it's this unity of spirit where what is so important to the Father and to the Son all of a sudden becomes important to the church because of the working of the Spirit. And where we realize that what is so important to the church, not just the individual, but the the church, we realize is actually also important to God. Because we can think, you know, the problem in the Middle East, there's the stuff that happened in France, and I have this issue. God must be too busy for me. He's got all that other stuff to sort out. I mean, how's he going to sort out Palestine? You know, and here I am with my stuff. But God is greater than all that. And so the goodness of God, his glory is given to us in the manifestation of the power of God through the gifts of the Spirit. And it's the goodness of God that comes. And, and especially for those who are sick or for those who are, have had things happen to their bodies where they, they're not sick, but they They need a creative miracle that God in his goodness condescends to manifest his glory so that healing can be poured out. And so we had this this guy who uh, was had been a nasty piece of work. He'd done severe, a severe prison sentence and was released. And he'd been forgiven by the people he'd uh, sinned against. Um, He knew that God had forgiven him, but he just couldn't live with himself. 
for a number of reasons. And it was it was hard to spend time with him because it was trying to convince some, you know, he just like a mule had his heels dug, on, dug in. He wasn't going to be forced anywhere. And since he'd gotten out of prison, uh, a sore had developed under his foot. and He, he couldn't walk. You know, he was kind of limping. And it, was, it was agonizing to watch. And uh, anyway, we'd been talking about the goodness of God on these Wednesday meetings. And it wasn't my decision, but uh, this guy, Bobby, Bobby was wild. Bobby had the highest IQ of anyone really in his um, year for, in, in school across the UK. But he, he was sick in the summer between high school or high school and university. And it was misdiagnosed as mental illness. And he was subjected to electric shock therapy, and it just fried his brain. Um, and it was just, but he was, yeah, it was just incredibly intelligent, but he just, he was just, you know, a mess. And um, he would tell stories. He had no idea if what he was telling you was true or, or the book he just read. And he just had this thing where he couldn't differentiate fantasy from, from, um, from fact. And so Bobby shouts out about Ian, where, as we're talking about the goodness of God, get the chair. I'm like, what? And so he grabs this chair and he puts it out in the center and he says, come and sit and you're going to sit here till you're better. And I'm thinking, this is so passion sensitive, we can't do this. And they said, uh, said come on, come on. And so uh, they, get, they get him to sit down and he's, he can't stand up to receive prayer because his foot's so bad. And they just start coming alongside, almost kind of walking by him and saying, goodness of God come, pain go in the name of Jesus. And they just kind of walk by and pretty soon, after a few people had done this, he jumps up and he starts tap dancing. And what had happened is, you know, when you're sick and when you're, whether it's sick in body or sick in spirit like he was in his own forgiveness, it's pretty isolating. It's pretty isolating. And often you're alone in what you're going through, whether it's grief or it's a physical ailment. And just having everybody from that service come by. And just kind of pray for him. He just had such an experience of love that he forgave himself. And the moment he did that, he realized that the sore on his foot was gone. And he jumps out of the chair and he starts to dance. Bonkers. Bonkers. I, I wouldn't have thought of that in ages. But it took somebody who was uninhibited to suggest it. We then had... Um, uh, another woman come who had gone uh, blind in an eye. Actually, she'd been born and couldn't see, I think. Right? And, um, and we didn't sit her down in the chair, but they gathered around her to pray. And, you know, because the problem with the eye that she had diagnosed, there was nothing to heal. So she didn't need healing. She needed a creative miracle. She needed actually a new eye. And uh, anyway, they start, I didn't lay a hand on her, but they started praying for her and she could see. And I'm thinking... This is crazy. This is biblical. This is like the lame walk, the blind see. And I'm not doing any of it. It's the spirit manifesting for the sake of the common good. And then we had someone come in who had a problem with hearing and, and all they could hear was echoes or something. And, and they were prayed for and, and they received their hearing. And it was, it was just wild. And then on, but we were praying on Sundays and nothing was happening. A few things would happen, but there was nothing really... We weren't seeing what was happening on Sunday that was happening on Wednesday. And so people from Sunday started to come to our Wednesday meeting because the people on the margins, I realized, what the gift that they have for us is their experience of God and their gift of faith. That's why we need the poor in our lives because that's what they have to offer us. 
And so we have these people coming, these Wandsworth wives coming, who are, you know, close to millionaires, and they're coming to hang out with former prostitutes, drug dealers, and the homeless, and um, because they realize that God is there. And it's not that the talks were better than on Sunday. What was better is that there was a tangible love in the room, because there were people here who knew exactly, they had incredible revelation and insight into what it meant to be judged and what it meant to be discarded, what it meant to be forgotten. And so they were seeking to make the love of God known to one another because everyone was welcome and everyone was treated normally. And so we had people coming from very um, great privileged backgrounds coming because they needed to experience the love of that kind of community because in their community, in the white middle class where they had every luxury available to them, they could not find love. I just found that fascinating. And so what we're going to do is um, a simple exercise on the gift of healing. Healing does not require... I used to pray before I had met these guys on Wednesday, pray prayers of healing, where I was trying to convince God that it was in his best interest to heal. Because I didn't realize that actually God loves them more than I do, and actually he is more prone to heal than I would even consider. And, um, and so actually what we, the, we kept the prayer simpler and found that the simpler the prayer, the quicker the breakthrough came. And so we got into a place where we're just praying, goodness of God come, pain go in the name of Jesus for those who are sick. And for those who need a creative miracle, we would pray, goodness of, good, goodness of God come, create. Four words. And all we need to do is just offer the Lord an opportunity to manifest his love through his power. So I wonder if we would have anyone here who is, um, has a condition in their body that they need healing. One, two, three. Yeah, why don't you just stand up where you are if you can or just wave. We've got four. Great. No, more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. Would you all come and sit in the front row? And this is what we're going to do. If you want prayer family, just come sit in the front row. person who needs healing just to come and sit in this chair. And then as the worship's playing, the rest of us are going to form two lines, just like in school, going all the way to the back. And as the worship's playing, this is what I want you to do. Well, the person we sat here, and all that I want you to do is come along and just pray, goodness of God, come, pain, go in the name of Jesus. Put your hand on their shoulder and keep walking. Okay, and what we're going to try to do is, is kind of create, if you use imagery in your mind, it's what we're trying to do is kind of create like a, a, an outpouring of love around them. Because it's the, it's the love of God, the divine nature, that makes the power manifested. And what we're asking really is for the Lord to break through and, and just transform things. Now, I'll give you this disclaimer. I know that every time we pray for healing, not everyone's healed. But when we never pray for healing, no one is healed. And it's a mystery. So, and we have to be prepared to abide in the mystery, whether or not, you know, God will do something, which I think you're pretty much up for. So, and after you've received prayer, just test it out. I don't know, depending on what the condition is, uh, whether you could tell them that you've been healed, if you can test it out and we'll touch base in a moment. In a, in a, in a, in a gentle way, just kind of make, make your way around. And the prayer is, goodness of God, come, pain, go in the name of Jesus. Okay. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of healing. And we ask that you would make your spirit manifest for the sake of the common good, that your love be made known and that your power be on display, that we might know you in new ways. In Jesus' name, amen.